and it's okay to feel all kinds of complicated ways about where you come from and who you are and it's okay to kind of carry those feelings around with you um, and then once you get to that stage you can start to address them and look for ways to fix that or address that. In today's episode we speak to poet and activist Monica Radijevic. Monica and I both have very complicated relationships with home and belonging and in this conversation we dig into how to unravel those relationships and how to build homes and find homes in community, in art, and in each other. So to get us started, we don't like to define people, we like to let people define themselves, introduce themselves as they want to, so how do you want to introduce yourself? Well, I'm Monica Radiovich, I'm a Brazilian Montenegrin poet and women's rights campaigner and kind of creative person um, and I'm a published writer as well. Thank you, thank you for being here. Thank um, you for having me. I, I love your I love your work. Oh, thank you. Big reason I wanted you here and I feel like so much of what you write just makes me feel less alone in the world. Oh, so. thank you. That's really, that's very powerful. I really appreciate that. There are so many questions that are much bigger than all of us, that are much more societal, structural, mm-hmm. systemic, cultural, and still we work through them in our own lives, right? Yeah. And talking to people who are working through them in a somewhat public way, and not that any of us can tell anyone else what to do, but perhaps your own way of working through the questions can be a blueprint for someone else who's who's thinking about how they fit into the jigsaw puzzle. Mm-hmm or how to make a new jigsaw puzzle. Um, and with you and your work, in my mind, all art is political and all art is powerful, yep, but agree. it's really difficult to to decide to want to be an artist, right? Yes, uh, yes, absolutely. Especially if you come from like a background like I came from, which I have incredibly supportive parents, but they were also immigrants in this country, which was quite hostile towards them. And so the emphasis was always on do what you love, but if what you love can earn some money and provide you a stable income and give you what we couldn't have, even better. Was it scary? Like, did you have a, a journey into, I want to be, I want, I want, you always were a poet, but I want to like pursue poetry as a... Well, yeah, you know, I used to always want to write yeah. as, a, as a kid that I always said, there were two things I was very consistent on. My favorite color is green. Uh, and I want to be a writer. Two things. Uh, And then as I got older, um, the kind of messages that were coming in, not just from family, but kind of around, which is like, oh, writing's, you can't really make money with writing, you know? That's quite tough. Are you you sure? And so you start to absorb these ideas of like, well, no one's reacting very positively to what I'm saying that I want to do. Maybe I got to do something else. And then I did politics actually, and I thought, okay, I'm going to end up working in kind of politics and women's rights, which was always something that was very, I was very passionate about. And then I was at uni and I completely stopped writing uh, everything. I stopped writing poetry, I stopped creative writing, I stopped everything. Um, and I kind of retreated into that little insular academic world. And then I was doing my master's and something about being in that space, and I don't think it was a coincidence, but something about being in a space where I did my master's, which was a incredibly diverse space. It was SOAS um, in the center of London, surrounded by incredibly diverse people, surrounded by people where I felt very, I felt at home there in that space. 
I started to write again um, and it was sort of pouring out of me. And then a friend um, who knew I, I was a writer, knew I wrote poetry, was like, you should um, submit your work to this competition that they've got, um, you know, and it was free. So I did. Uh, and I didn't think about it at all. And that competition uh, was the Stormzy's Smoky Books New Writers Prize. And it ended up, I ended up winning somehow. And that like completely changed how I approached writing and, and creating. Because before, it seems odd actually, especially considering my background, but before I was like, well, in my work, I can be one thing only. I cannot be and do multiple things at the same time because that doesn't exist. And it was like, it was like I'd woken up and like I could see different colors, and I was just like, "Wow, I can I can create it like for my job or outside of my job. I can write like I don't need to be a writer to be a writer." And I I don't understand why I had some kind of blockage there, but that really changed everything for me, and that's when I began to kind of call myself a poet, a writer, and I began to just write, and not even for the sake of doing anything with it, but just because I, it's like I gave myself permission all of a sudden to lean into that creativity and let it be influenced by my work and the world I was growing up in and everything that was happening around me. There's something there that for me at least resonates with me a lot about being in a space where you feel safe enough to, to use your voice. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes so long for those of us who are lucky enough to find those spaces and for for many people, there aren't spaces like yeah, that, right? It's, absolutely. W- was there a moment when you realized, I'm like, it's okay? Were there people around you who were encouraging you? Like, what? where was the switch flipping for you? Uh, I think it was in a space where finally, what I ended up doing was, I was doing my master's and it was everything that I'd learned in my bachelor's, but kind of reversed, you know, from the opposite perspective. Right. So it was very anti-colonialist, it was very feminist, and it was it was like somebody had thrown a bucket of cold water over me and gone, hey, uh, all the things that you thought and that you kind of felt a little bit disconnected from and couldn't understand why, here's how we think, like, come join us. Like, and I was like, wow, this, these are my people. Like, this is where I belong. And it was like I was connecting to the person that I had always wanted to be. Um, and that, I think, gave me that confidence. And also it gave me, I think, it gave me the language. It gave me the opportunity to learn from other people how I could express myself. Um, and it suddenly felt right to be able to say those things. So I think it was really that moment. And I think a lot, actually... Uh, I did uh, I did a module in uh, gender in the Middle East and it was mm-hmm. run by this incredible woman, um, Lebanese woman, who uh, one of the things that she made us do was look at uh, women in the Middle East who were kind of defying norms, defying uh, gender constraints, everything, and the kind of art that they were producing and the the creativity that came with it. Even if you're not thinking about traditional forms of creativity, like everything that they were doing was rooted in such creativity. Um, and it it was kind of there where I was really taught, you know, as you said, art is political. Um, creativity is, is valuable in this kind of movement. Uh, and poetry had always felt like a very natural form for me. And then I kind of began to realize that poetry is about recording how people felt in that moment right it's not like history records what happened and history records 
uh, yeah, the kind of dates and the facts. Um, and it's not really me that actually articulated this. It's the journalist Salma Al-Wadani. She said to me once, like, poetry is about, I love her too, I'm a huge fan. Uh, she said to me once, poetry is, 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 it records how we felt about that thing in that moment in time. And that is kind of what I discovered and leaned into. And I was like, I'm going to record how I feel about what's going on. Uh, and I'm going to infuse that with the perspectives that I'm being exposed to, the academia that I'm privileged enough to be absorbing. Um, and then I moved into the women's rights and kind of humanitarian sphere. And it was like, oh, perfect. I have source material now. This is great. And I could educate myself and make sure that I was trying to bring some diverse perspectives into my writing. It's I, I've written down what you said, poetry is a space to feel out loud. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, because it's also, in my mind, the thing I think about a lot where my own journey, and I imagine it's true for a lot of other people, is like poetry and a lot of creativity and art is seen as frivolous. Absolutely. Or not serious. And like throughout history, it's predominantly been those in power. So when we look at gender, it's mostly men who have written history, right? And there's, there's facts, but there's also so much of all the wars have been fought, like what is the reasoning? There's a lot of emotion behind yeah. everything, right? But women's stories have been left out, they've been undocumented. Yeah. And how did you reach the place or were you always at that place where you didn't worry? Like my concern for such a long time was if I want to do something that is creative, I'm not being serious enough. It's like not right. important, right? Like I should do something important. Yeah. I want to like I want to make a difference in the yeah, world. And absolutely. How can I just go and like make art? That's that's not enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I need I need it. But it's yeah. it's for me then and it's kind of selfish and self-indulgent. Yeah. Like how did you go through that journey? Oh, I mean, I think I still go through that journey. I think uh because you're right, you know, we're taught that art is this like cool, fun thing, but ultimately it's not it's, it doesn't have any teeth in it, right? It's it's fun but that's it, it stops there. And actually it's such a disservice to all of the art and all of the creativity through humanity, because like we were saying, like it captures emotion in ways that other things can't. And there really is that pivot towards science and, and technology and, and all of which is important, of course, but we are losing, I think, some of that reverence that we once held for art and creativity. Um, I think I, I'm still going through that, to be honest, and I'm, like I have a tendency to undermine myself. I go, well, you know, I, I guess, like, I guess you could call me a poet. I mean, I, I, I was just, I kind of fell into it by accident, you know. So like, I'm not technically, you know, oh, I'm really sorry for like using that word. And I'm trying to kind of be a little bit braver and and say, you know, I'm I'm a poet because I write poetry. And also, I think anyone who creates is an artist uh, and you don't need to be like formally trained in order to produce something that resonates with other people um, and I think especially now as I move towards um, kind of expanding what I understood creativity and poetry to mean uh, and moving away from kind of traditional forms and and exploring other ways of expression that could be considered poetic I think even more I'm leaning into this idea of uh, as long as you are creating, you know, for yourself and you have, there is like a purpose to what you're doing and you are connecting with other people, that is art and that is valuable because look at what the past three years have taught us about the importance of human connection and look at what um, our government and governments around the world, look at what we are seeing from people who are completely disconnected from 
the people they're supposed to be representing and the ways that uh, our humanity is just being kind of erased by this lack of focus on connection, this lack of focus on our kind of universal experiences as humans, art provides that. And if we take that away, we end up with like what we have right now, a government that does not care about its people. In fact, that actively uh, harms its people. Uh, and so you kind of go to the center of that and think, how do we fix this? I think a really, really important part of that is art. Really beautiful. No, thank you. It's like gave me chills. <laughs> it's also hard, though, at least for me, and I imagine for lots of people. Thinking about what you said as art, as a art is connection, right? But when you're, whatever you're making, whether it's like you're making a meal for loved ones, yeah, absolutely, or you're writing poetry, or you and your friends are like singing a karaoke, like that's art too. But you have to like be brave enough. Yeah. And you have to believe that someone on the other side is going to connect to it. Yeah. How do you get to that point of like believing, especially if you have something to say, which is which you're not hearing said around you? Yeah. Oh, I think that's that's like kind of the crux of it. You just hit yeah. the nail on the head. It was where the way that I got there was by a friend believing in me and saying, listen, I think you should submit this poem. And the poem that I submitted was I felt it was such a niche random one it was about dna testing kits and about how and i kind of used that as to talk about how i felt like i didn't really belong anywhere because of my heritage and that was a a really difficult thing to say out loud because it it's it's it could hurt people it could hurt people who would hear that and think that it was somehow a reflection on how they'd raised me or how or you know friends who kind of thought I was just saying that they were doing me a disservice. It was it was a, a vulnerable position to put myself in. And it was especially hard to do that because I didn't hear many people saying the same thing. And I was like, I guess everyone's gonna think I'm difficult or I'm, you know, I'm causing trouble or I'm really grumpy and negative and I'm gonna bring everyone down. But actually ultimately it was what made me do it was this desperation to be heard. Um, and so I think the way you fix that, the way you counteract that is by letting those voices take center stage a little bit more. And give, like, if I had had a, a world where I could have explored those feelings, um, maybe I wouldn't, maybe it wouldn't have taken me so long to put that out there and kind of put it out into the world and go, maybe somebody, maybe this will work for somebody too. Um, and so it's about, I think, overcoming that feeling of vulnerability because, you know, people, whether or not you intend people to do that, people will read into your poetry, your writing, your art, and assume you are talking about yourself. And in my case, I often am, but I'm not just talking about myself. And so what you're asking other people to do, what you're, what you're doing essentially is opening yourself up entirely to everyone else to come and scrutinize and, and judge you for that. Um, and I've been very lucky that the majority of people have been very gentle with me. And it seems to have resonated. But had I had a very different reaction to my poem, 23 and Me, I don't think this book, uh, Teeth in the Back of My Neck, would exist at all. I think I submitted it at a moment where I was very vulnerable and uh, feeling quite fragile about who I was. And I was very lucky that there were people who saw that and thought that that was worth sharing. Because if they hadn't, I wouldn't. Well, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you. I think it's also 
we all have so many of those moments, right? That was a pivotal moment. I'm sure there are others where you put yourself out there and maybe the world didn't respond. Of course. As you, and it's it's also the, like, you have to keep doing it. Yeah. And it's so hard. And yeah. If you keep getting knocked back, it's... I, I keep reminding myself, at least, it's not that there isn't a space for me. It's that I haven't found it yet. Yeah. And that's really hard sometimes to, like, sit in that. How did you find your people, like your friends who encouraged you and like the community that gave you this space to, was it intentional? Was it that you knew you needed it without knowing why? Was there? I think it's the fact that I knew I needed it without knowing why. My friends, not all of them, but the closest people in my life have always been uh, kind of similar to me in that they have multiple heritages. They come from different backgrounds. A lot of them have parents who are immigrants as well. And I think it's that shared, like wanting to feel a space where people understood who you were without you having to over explain. So I think it's that. And I think some of that, most of that was done kind of unconsciously as I was young, but now it's becoming a very conscious thing. Um, and it's not to say, of course, that other people can't fill those spaces as well but there is something about being in a room and saying like I can somebody here is going to pronounce my name right somebody here is going to know where Montenegro is when I say that's where I'm from somebody is going to know my history connect you know connect with me over that and that's a really beautiful but quite also quite rare uh, and so I think it's deliberate now but you're right I was seeking those places out because those were people and places that could see me and hear me I like you. I this is one of the reasons, one of the like m- many many reasons I wanted to talk to you. My I'm a global global person, and home is complicated, and belonging yeah. is complicated, and it isn't one clear answer. And yeah. the what you just described is something that I I crave so often, and like have to c- recreate for myself constantly is the spaces yeah. where there's so much that can be left unsaid, and people understand. And it's also interesting because that's what I often unknowingly turn to books and films and music and poetry for where it is people like that's where I can find belonging when I don't know how to find it yeah in the people around me yeah was that again like was that a a thing that was intentional for you where you were thinking this is it never has been for me the the clear line until someone pointed it out to me where they were like you know you're just telling me that you want to like read books that make make you (laughs) feel seen and I was like oh that's so interesting that's so wise were, were you thinking of like, oh, this is where I feel seen, I should? Yes, I think so. And I think that became clearer as I was writing the collection. Um, it didn't start off that way, not intentionally. And then um, at the time that all of this was happening, we'd just finished, like we just voted for Brexit in this country. And it that had come off the back of this incredibly racist, like xenophobic, anti-immigrant sentiment, which you know, affected my family quite deeply and affected me very deeply and made me really reconsider this country and whether it can even be considered home anymore. And I was looking for some space to talk about that, to feel that grief. Um, and I wasn't finding it. And so I, there are a couple of poems in Teeth in the Back of My Neck that are specifically about Brexit and the impact of leaving and even though it didn't impact my family in the sense that my family are not whenever it meet you anyway so it's not like it had an impact on our, on our lives in that way just the feeling of how hostile um, this country had become for us I mean it was hostile to many 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 other communities for much longer but that feeling of, of how much that hostility ramped up and how it was 
promoted by our government, accepted by our government, used by our government and by you know our media um, to kind of explicitly say like you are not welcome here, leave. Um, that that kind of changed what I was looking for and it definitely changed what I wrote about and my writing became I would say a lot more aggressive um, and a lot angrier and I wrote this poetry collection for those people who felt that as well very specifically especially for women and I always say that the one thing that I want I hope that people feel or that people take away from my poetry collection is that they come away from it like as if they're on fire and that they need to go do something and and spread that a little bit and do something else because uh i i yeah i wrote it for people who are just itching to revolt or rebel or or stand up for something and say am i allowed to swear yes <laughs> and say fuck this um yeah there's so much i want to ask just with that answer and i'm gonna start with the so so much to ask but um the sense of my home doesn't want me yeah is something I've, I've felt deeply in different senses in different places and I sometimes describe it like going through the most painful breakup ever right where also there's no leaving in some sense yeah and it's how do you like how do you sit with that when you're in a room full of people who don't see what you're grieving yeah because it doesn't imp- like it doesn't impact you in in the most direct way, yeah. which you have that privilege, right? 100%, yeah. And still, there is, there's that sense of, like, I, I don't belong. Like, I remember I was in the U.S. in 2016, and I came to London, and it was right after Brexit, and there were signs everywhere saying, refugees, welcome. Yeah. And I just, I wept. Mm. And I, I didn't even know where it was coming from, mm. but it was like an unclenching of, like, there's at least a little bit more space here. Yeah where people are having a conversation that they weren't in New York where I was living at the time. I was like, okay, this is, but also Brexit. So like, yeah. this, this, where, where do I belong, right? Like, where, where can I find home? And it was happening in every, every part of the world that felt like home right. to me. And it's been something where for me, it's been a, I have to find community mm-hmm. and like home can be five people. Yeah. And I'm curious about like what that journey has looked like for you. Uh, I think, as you said, like home is a complicated thing for some people, certainly for me. And I I definitely have found home in people who at least, we don't have to agree on everything, but if we can agree on, you know, kind of the base level of kindness, humanity, decency, like honesty, then we can get past like any disagreement. Um, and so I've definitely found my home in people And I think I've just become used to carrying that around. Like you kind of carry when, when like the things that motivate you are kind of under attack or the things that you really value are under attack. I think you carry those things around with you and look for somebody to kind of be like, Oh, here, like carry this with me just for a little bit, please. Um, And then you, you kind of connect and bond like that. Um, And I think for me, to be honest, journeying back to, my home countries, my my other homes, uh, was really instrumental in that as well. Because the other thing that happens when you grow up in a country that neither of your parents are from uh, is that you are constantly having to like try and redefine, or you feel like you constantly have to redefine. Like, okay, so if I'm Montenegrin, um, 
So what does that mean? Like, does it mean I have to be fluent? Do I need a passport? Um, when was the last time I went? And as you get older, as a kid, that was never really an issue for me. But as I got older and I spent less and less time in those countries as family members passed on, as like people had like weddings and and and, and had children and, and you were, and I was isolated from all of that. I began to question like, do I, am I from Brazil? Am I Brazilian? I haven't been back for a decade. Does that still count? Um, and it was something that neither of my parents understood at all because they were from, they were like full, I'm inverting commas here, fully Brazilian or fully Montenegrin. And so it was never like for them, their identity was very clear cut. In fact, it was strengthened when they were outside of their countries. But for me, it was very weak and kind of very intangible and changing all the time. And so last year, I managed to go back to both Montenegro and Brazil and it was really transformative in that I felt at peace for the first time in a very long time and I felt like I didn't have to justify who I was anymore and it was going back that did that for me. So I think it was two it's two things really it's going back to yeah like places where you feel at home and it was surrounding yourself with people who uh, share some kind of core basic values say more about how going home and like what the justification like what, what what did it do for you going home and like how did it how did it help well um brazil especially montenegro is a little bit closer so it's a little bit easier but brazil i hadn't been back for nine years and in those nine years i lost both my grandparents um i lost a lot of people and i lost kind of sense of who I was and to be able to go back and reconnect with that and <laughs> recognize that the core of me is actually not this country was both I mean I'm I'm crying but they're quite they're joyful tears um because it was like remembering that actually who I am I, I like who I am a lot more when I reconnect with my heritage it reminds me of of uh, beautiful people who have, I've lost now and I guess it was just it was really special and that's why going home to Brazil speaking the language again that was so important tasting these incredible foods that I you know hadn't had a chance to see and seeing family who welcomed me back and said like we love you you know you're you're here you're home that I think made a world of difference it was really special I get it I have a I have a different relationship we all have different relationships to home but it's something I think about a lot where like what have at what point does belonging begin or end mm -hmm. and you never if at least for me I found that once there is any sort of like complication I'm air quoting complication to your identity in terms of where you belong you never belong fully and also you have to accept that you belong fully in some ways yeah absolutely yeah, it's like it's like it's quite exhausting actually. You're kind of having to do mental acrobatics and you don't even realize you're doing it and then you can go somewhere and it all kind of stops and falls away and then you're like this is peaceful. Um what how amazing is that to get to feel at peace with who you are. And it's, you know, obviously like I'm sure as you can understand like going home is also complicated. There are difficult things to overcome and also you know, it's not like I can fully belong to one space ever. Um, but I think being in a climate and I mean, both like weather wise and like people wise, being in a climate where you suddenly, like everything makes sense is so 
I think, validating and, and so comforting. Uh, and I think maybe I felt that way because where we are right now doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Um, if you just think about the fact, like if you look at how much injustice and inequality is like just in the UK alone, it doesn't make sense. Like it shouldn't be that way. And for you to have to like operate in like a kind of cognitive dissonance of this is all really fucked up and people are getting hurt and dying because of this. And somehow we're all just accepting that or we're all just letting it happen. Like, how do you, I, you know, I, I don't know how you just can kind of move through that without being a little bit traumatized by it. So escaping, I think, uh, made me feel very much at peace. I imagine, at least for me, maybe for you, it's also remembering that there is more to the world in some Definitely. ways, right? And there's like, I always say there are 8 billion of us, so there are 8 billion ways to live. And like, I love that. Yeah. There's the, the jigsaw puzzle feels like it's more complete for me when I go to my other homes. And it's like, okay, there, this is, I, I choose to live in London because this is where I make the most sense. And also... Right. I need the other pieces, otherwise I'm still incomplete, even if this is the place where I'm most complete. Yes, absolutely. And I guess we just have to be okay with that. <laughs> um, and also it means we get to travel, like, which is great. I love it. And it's something, I mean, you write about this, really, I, it resonated with, with me very deeply when you write about how there's a way to look at this, not only in terms of loss, but also in terms of we get so much, right? Yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, I wouldn't change it at all for all of the confusion and all the complaining I've just done. I wouldn't change it at all because how lucky am I that I get to experience multiple cultures, like visit these countries, uh, like experience different ways of living and of loving, which I think uh, I learned. I saw so much of that in both of the countries that I went back to, you know, Montenegro and Brazil. They love each other in very different ways. And it's not that one way is more valid. It's just that it kind of provides you with that perspective of, well, there are so many ways to exist. And like, here I am getting to try multiple. Like, how, how lucky am I? What are the different ways of loving? I'm so curious. <laughs> um, so in Montenegro, there is a real emphasis on uh, kind of hierarchy and respect. Uh, and there are downsides to that, but something beautiful that I see is the way that people care for their parents and the way that um, children are valued and kind of revered in Montenegro. The idea of, of having children, of, um, of, being, <clears throat> of being around children is so beautiful and the sense of caring for your loved ones. I mean, it's not, I, I think it's not necessarily a person's duty to take on that care if they aren't able to or don't wish to. But in Montenegro, there is a really um, strong tradition around caring for your elderly and making sure that they are happy and safe and comfortable, but not treating them as infants, you know? Like, there is a huge amount of respect because they are the elders. They are, you know, they hold so much wisdom. And... In Brazil, um, Brazil is an incredibly warm country. Um, people are so comfortable with expressing their love for each other. And that's very different to both, I would say, England and Montenegro, 
They are extremely comfortable with their bodies. They are extremely comfortable with dancing in the street, with hugging people that they don't know. Uh, and something like I was there for New Year's and something that happened immediately was we were in, we were at a party and it was for strangers. I knew maybe five people in that room. But after the fireworks and after New Year kind of struck, people were going around hugging each other and, and looking at me in the eye and saying like, Happy New Year. And they really meant it and they had no idea who I was and I'm probably never going to see any of them again. But there was real genuine love and affection and it was so easy. Uh, and I've never been in a country where people can love, like, love each other so freely. Uh, and that's wonderful as well. It's really beautiful. You get like so many kinds of love in your yeah, life. Exactly. Just really like, it, it feels like you're the privileged one. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to, there, there's two things and they're both related that you mentioned in my mind. When I read your work, I feel the sense of like, what you said, the fire, right? Like the, mm -hmm. and I, I feel that way sometimes sometimes when like and I can tell like I'm going to the dark place when that happens where I'm just like why is nobody else like raging about right. this right like yeah. how can people go about daily life when the world is on fire right and it's and also for me at least rage is like not enough to fuel me right 100%, yeah it's I'm gonna burn out very quickly if yeah. I'm fueled entirely by rage and how do you like how do you navigate that where you're inspiring the rage, right? Like, in, in, it, it seems like fuel, it seems like it's there, yeah. but then how do you keep it going? How do you sustain yeah. yourself? No, absolutely. Um, and that's something I'm really looking actually to do more of this year. But I, like the way that I see it is that rage is what brings people to the table, but joy is what keeps them there. And so if you don't provide space for joy, if you don't actively seek out joy, whatever that means to you, then you're not gonna get anywhere. Um, and so I, I hope that um, despite the book being full of rage, there is a little joy that people can take from it as well. Um, and I think at the moment for me, joy looks like reconnecting with who I am. It looks like immersing myself in art, but that I don't have to do anything with. It's, it's art just for the purpose of creating the art, not for the purpose of sharing it or doing something with it. Um, it's being with friends and it's rest, like resting, doing nothing, which is really hard to do sometimes. Um, that's what keeps me at the table because otherwise you're right, I burn out and then I become very cynical and jaded and that helps no one, least of all myself. It's also really hard, I find it really hard at least, with both joy and rest where intellectually I would say they're very important, but like you look at my day-to-day -day life and there, there's so many things that are more important almost, right? Like, it feels like I'm indulging myself. Absolutely. But indulgence is okay for other people, but for me, I'm like, I'm indulging myself. Yeah. Like, yeah. How, how could I do that? Do you do you struggle with that at all? Oh, 100%. And I'm like one of those people that's like, you just need to put yourself first. You just need to rest. And I'll say that to everyone else. And then I'll be like, right, here are the 50 things that I have to do today. Um, and I think a lot of that is about like me wanting to control certain things and also about me feeling guilty as though rest is the equivalent to laziness, which is, I think, something we're all taught, um, which is obviously a lie. Um, and I think there's so much good work being done at the moment um, to kind of unpick that. And actually, 
what's it called? Is it called the Nap Revolution? Nap Ministry. The Nap Ministry. That's yeah. it. Like I love the work that they're doing, and it's so radical of being like rest is radical and unpick this kind of capitalist sense of you have to be doing something productive all the time or you're shamed and you feel guilty. But I, I'm still unpicking that because like the other day, for example, I took a two hour nap um, on a Saturday afternoon and I woke up and I felt very joyful that I did that, but I would have felt guilty actually just a few months ago for doing that because I would have been like, oh no, in this two hour window, I could have been doing these 50 things. Uh, and now I've wasted my time, but I wasn't wasting my time, I was resting. Uh, and so trying to like, flip that in my mind like it's a work in progress actually and I think it's going to be a work in progress potentially for the rest of my life but yeah it's something I struggle with definitely as you were speaking I realized that yeah I, napping is such a joy for me as well <laughs> and also it's the like oof the things that were on my to-do list right yeah. and maybe part at least for me part of that is and this is something like even in these conversations I've been slowly unraveling in my mind if the world is set up in a way that just like doesn't serve any of us so we're all just like yeah. fighting in some way yeah. to try and carve out space to carve out like the basics time to rest yeah. time to be joyful and how do you balance that right where it's on one side we know it's so like necessary as humans and on the other side also the world isn't set up to allow it yeah no it's it's true and especially in like a creative um, sector, you have to hustle quite a lot of the time, which is frustrating if you're trying to rest and, and relax. Um, I think I heard it somewhere and I can't remember who, maybe it was my dad that said it, like an, a rule that I'm trying to implement now is if I get asked to do something or if I'm invited somewhere, um, I'll ask myself, like, would I do this tomorrow? Would I get up at 8am or 7am and do this thing tomorrow? And if the answer is no, I will probably not do it. I'll probably reject it because if I'm not willing to do it tomorrow, chances are six months from now or two weeks from now, whatever it is, like I probably won't do it. I don't know if that's gonna work. I'm giving it a go, um, but I've said no to a few things this year already and it feels good. Like once I move past the anxiety, like but this is a great opportunity. This could change my life. Oh my God, oh my God. Um, if I say yes, how can I fit this in? Uh, could I work? Could I get up earlier? Could I work in the evenings more? And once I kind of push past that little anxiety voice in there and go like, would I get up at 7 a.m. tomorrow and do this? And if the answer is no, then it's enough. That. I love that so much. I'll, I'll get back to you if it's working. <laughs> but yeah, if anyone wants to try it, feel free. Also, like saying no is really hard, at least for me, yeah. because what if there are no more opportunities? Yeah, right? like scarcity mindset yeah. as well. There aren't many resources in creative jobs yeah. at the moment. There, there aren't many opportunities, or at least it feels that way. Yeah. So you go, like, well, I better get them all up. You know, I better get them in my bag as quickly as possible, because who knows when they'll come around again. And and the world like. We're in a cost of living crisis. There's, Absolutely. it's like, it's also, it's the reality and it's the, the narratives as well of like, everything just feels like it's hard right now, yeah. right? Like it feels like everyone is going through a hard time, yeah. and it's like, who am I to say no? Hundred percent. And I, often when I talk to my parents about that, actually, something that they say is like, well, we never got to say no, um, and then like they don't like. Then I'm like, oh my god. And I feel guilty and ashamed, but actually like what I think what they mean is like, 
say no because like we never got we had to say yes to everything because we didn't have the choices and the options that you have so like use it use them wisely such a lovely reframe of i think what so many immigrant parents say yeah. to their children <laughs> i mean i'm interpreting it that way has that been something with your parents this is like a me being curious as all of this is me being curious as me but like especially me being curious as me where as i've gotten older i've like learned to have those conversations to actually understand like you know, you worked so hard. I should yeah. work so hard too. I should always be working. You you never took Saturdays off. I shouldn't take Saturdays off, yeah. right? Like, how did how, have you had to navigate those conversations? Yes, um, and I think as I get older, my parents are kind of opening up a little bit more about their experiences and what they went through. Um, we're kind of getting to those realizations of like, wow, this was extremely difficult. And it's not just me that, have, that are having those realizations, like my parents are as well. And for them, like, I think them talking about the choices that they didn't have um, and seeing how as they get older, there are some regrets that they, I don't think that they mull over because they didn't have the choice, but they say things like, if I could have, I would have been a doctor, or if I could have, I would have been a teacher. But you know, this circumstance meant that I had to do this thing and, and study this and, and take this job. And, and but then the way that they justify it is always that we did that so you could uh, thrive. And so there's it's like a double edged sword, isn't it? Because on the one hand, I go, well, am I wasting all of this hard work and all of this sacrifice? But then on the other hand, I go, well, if ultimately their goal was to have a happy, healthy child, they've succeeded. And that's kind of where my like I guess responsibility yeah it's not the right word but that's duty. kind of yeah I guess duty like yeah. I've fulfilled it like I'm I'm here like um I see them all the time like that's that's enough and then everything else is for me um but that kind of came later as you know I think it's as you get older you start to understand like I'm I'm not a parent but I'm starting to see the sacrifices that my parents have made and still make for us and going wow like they are amazing people um and that as well is i think there is actually it's actually quite freeing because i get to go well they are amazing people like you huh, let me rephrase what i'm trying to say i think after a long time of seeing my parents as people who had to sacrifice um, I'm moving past that, even as I understand the depth of that sacrifice a little more as I get older. I'm moving past that to go, actually, my parents are so much more than the immigrant struggle. You know, they are so much more than that. They are people who are brilliant and funny and, and clever and, you know, uh, resourceful in their own right. And they are also people who are flawed and make mistakes and and you know you move past all of that to actually recognize that your parents are kind of just slightly older versions of yourself <laughs> and, uh, and I think that becomes a lot easier but certainly yeah I think we all start off with that narrative of like my parents struggled and sacrificed so much and like that's so sad and then which is true, but then you move beyond that and go, but actually like they're thriving. Like look at what they've done. I'm in awe actually. And, and they are so valuable uh, to this world. Like how lucky am I that I get to learn from them? Um, and I think that that, like I've completely forgotten what it was that you are. It's also like you're, 
you're starting to unravel them in some ways and making them more human in your definitely, mind, right? Definitely. And like stepping away from like the societal tropes as well of like yeah. this is what it is to be an immigrant. Absolutely. Yeah. And adding the layers to that. Yeah. And it's we started out by talking about success and like your duty to your family yeah. and duty, you're quoting that. But it's interesting also because the the first thing is you were defining that and describing that that I that was going through my mind was but what is success, right? Like, yeah. who who wrote this definition for our parents, and then who wrote this definition for us? Yeah, and we have both, in our own ways, recreated the definition. Yeah, definitely. How did like was it was it a struggle for you at all in terms of like I'm going to like, you have a beautiful line in one of your poems about carving out space, right? Yeah, and like coming to the place where you say I'm going to carve out space for myself. Yeah. How did you get there? What was it like? Uh, I think it happened because I had no other choice. I really needed that space. And it educating myself was super, super important in like into carving that space out. But also I think feeling more empowered to talk about my story and and my background and my parents and that came through being exposed to other people's stories um and again it's like yet another case of why we need more diverse stories like we need to tell stories that aren't often heard um because otherwise other people don't know that their story or like maybe it helps them realize that their story is worth telling too um so I think I got to carve out my space because uh, somebody kind of handed me an opportunity and said, we're listening. Um, and because I had no choice, like I had to tell this story, otherwise I was stuck and I needed to become unstuck. Um, and yeah, I was in a space where people respected that and heard that. Uh, and I got very lucky because otherwise, I, like I said, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you about any of this. How did telling your story help you get unstuck? Um, I think it it helped me remember. No, it helped me realize that it's okay to not have all the answers, and it's okay to feel all kinds of complicated ways about where you come from and who you are, and it's okay to kind of carry those feelings around with you. Um, and then once you get to that stage, you can start to address them and look for ways to fix that or address that. Um, so it helped me become unstuck because it catapulted me into like a mental headspace of like, I can tell my story, that's okay. Like, and people seem to want to listen. Uh, and then it, it, it also helped me get unstuck because it made me realize, well, this is what I do now. I'm a poet, <laughs> I'm a writer. Uh, I get to call myself that. So I think, yeah, it helped me get to a place of movement and of action rather than of like, like feeling like really stagnant in all of these like complicated feelings. So if you had to like think about 16 year old Monica or like an 18 year old who's listening to this yeah. or a 21 year old who's feeling that way, which so many of us do at different points in our lives and feeling like, does my story matter? Does my voice matter? And I feel really like, stuck or closed closed up in like a mm. there's I don't know the path forward yeah what like what in your mind would be what would you tell her right like what's the first step or what's the big thing or is there a big thing 
Uh, I would say it's like a bit of a cliche, right? But I would say believe in yourself a little bit more, back yourself, um, trust that what you have to offer is valuable uh, and stop undermining that by like apologizing for who you are constantly. So stop apologizing, believe in yourself. And also I think have faith that it will be okay. Um, because it's funny you say that when I was 16 or 18 or however old, I always wished that time travel existed. So the future me could come back and say, hey, like it's fine, don't worry. I won't tell you what's gonna happen, but it's fine. And then I could relax and not be so scared all the time. Obviously that doesn't exist, but that's what I would say to like my 16 year self, like, hey, have faith that it's gonna be all right, because it will. I feel like we all hope that. Yeah. Wish, I, I still it's wish that. Great. Yeah. yeah I'd, I'd love to know what I get up to in like 15 years from now. I don't need to know. I just need to know it'll be okay. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Like, as long as I'm happy and maybe have like a dog, that would be great. <laughs> or cat. I'll settle you. You've like, you've, now you've said it, right? So you know, you know what you need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's true, actually. Yeah. I guess that's part of it. Just like saying it as well. Yeah. Saying it out loud and formulating yeah. it. Yeah. Were you someone who said it out? Like when your friend... Because that's like that that feels like a moment, right? Your friend coming to you and saying, "Hey, apply for this." Were you saying the things you wanted to be or you wanted to live out loud, or did the people around you just know you well enough to see it? Yeah, you know what? It's funny you say that because I think I started to say, "I'm writing poetry again. <clears throat> I'm I'm writing again. I'm creating again, and it's making me really happy." So I guess yeah, I was saying it out loud and I was vocalizing that. That's actually quite a good trick. I, might, um, I didn't even know when I asked that. So yeah, I think that's quite an interesting thing that you just said. I'm going to try and take it away and start like just vocalizing it. I mean, people do that anyway. It's called like manifesting, right? So uh, I might just start giving that a go because yeah, I was saying stuff like that all the time. And also there was a lot of doubt and confusion kind of mixed up in all of that. But I would say things like when I'm older, I really want to do this, this and this. And so maybe that also put me in a space and put my friends in a space of like, well, here's this opportunity. I know Monica would really like that. Um, and I think probably we can do that for each other. You know, our friends, if our friends are doing that and saying that, like we kind of have like our ears open and seeing what's coming and can be like, well, this person already wants to do this. So let me send that opportunity their way. It's such simple stuff. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Just saying what you need. <laughs> such simple radical things as well. So yeah. much harder to know what you want as well. Yeah, it's true. Like I'm thinking of young, young we're, young, we're both young, but like people, you know, who are like teenagers or mm -hmm. like in their early 20s. And it just feels like the world's, I, I keep saying this, but it just feels like things are hard right now, right? Yeah, things are hard for lots of different reasons. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to find hope. It's, yeah hard to like give yourself the space or to find the space to to make art to be creative mm -hmm. to believe that your voice matters when every single thing around you is saying actually no yeah how do you like how do you get through that um i don't know where it's from but there is a quote that goes like this too shall pass and so i hold that often when I'm going through something difficult, not when I'm happy, then I, then I don't want to think about that. <laughs> but when I'm going through something difficult or I feel like stuck or frustrated or something, I go like, this is really temporary. And I have a tendency, I think a lot of people do to confuse the way I feel with reality. 
if I feel this way, therefore everything is this way. And if I feel full of self-loathing and doubt, then I must really have, like, there must really be something for me to, to loathe. Um, and so I'm starting to almost talk to myself. And I think people say that, like, treat your, like, give your inner critics, like, a name or, like, like give them a character and, and uh, yeah, turn them into something and, like, argue back. And so I'm really trying to say to myself, like, if I feel this way, I'm like, this is a temporary feeling that will pass. This is not the state of you for the rest of your life. And it sounds like a, sounds logical and makes sense, right? But actually, it's taken me a really long time to learn that. Um, and also, like, therapy to, to for people to say, like, you aren't your feelings, but I, that's hard, especially as a poet where I have all the feelings that I have to put on the page. And like as a creative and as an artist, we have so many feelings, um, but you know, you aren't your feelings and those are temporary and this too shall pass. I really love that. I think it's also, it's helpful where I'm going to take that and extrapolate it also with like the state of the world where this too shall pass, right? There's yes. how we feel and how we feel in response to to the world, which is often very valid, because like, there's so much that is evoking so many feelings for different reasons, wherever you are in the world right now, whatever your life looks like, whatever Mm -hmm. your identity is, whatever your job is, however old you are, and it's like, holding on to the faith also, Yes, that things will get better. Yeah, things will get better. I have no doubt, and I think things will get better because there are too many people who can't accept the way that it is now even if even if you know the kind of the revolution if you want to call it that or the response or the desire to to have a more equal world a world at ease with itself even if that's kind of just on its way and it's just beginning like it's beginning um because here we are talking about it so like already that's proof and i I know i'm not the only one because i meet people who i connect with and resonate with all the time so I like refuse to believe that we are going into like a world of darkness and despair. I refuse because otherwise like what's the point? Um, so I have no doubt in my mind and I, I'm saying this now because I'm full of hope and I've just come back from Brazil and I'm really happy, but um, I have no doubt in my mind that we're going to a better place at some point because I think humanity is just like not capable of accepting sadness and despair I just don't think we can do it so the pep talk I needed thank you for that um so our final question which is kind of a cheesy one is this is called little revolutions in part because there is like the big sweeps of change and then Mm -hmm. there's it's often accumulation of the things we all do in our day-to-day right whether it's the conversations we have within our community it's the way we exist in the world our habits our rituals the little revolution so if there's someone out there who wants to make art or wants to feel like they belong and the world is saying no to them mm-hmm. or if someone loves someone in that space what little revolutions can they make um i think the little revolution that they could make would be to just start <laughs> don't uh don't give yourself like don't believe the reasons or the the justifications to not do the thing that like your soul is like begging you to do or whatever that thing may be like don't because there could be like a thousand different reasons to not do something but if the reason to do it is that 
this is what I need and like this is what my like body is crying out for then do it um and protect that like protect that little thing that you've got that you want to do whatever that is and even if it, you don't think it it's valid and even if you don't think it counts as art or you don't think it's good enough for people to see or or you think that it's stupid and frivolous like as we were saying at the beginning just do it because if it makes you happy it will make other people happy too thank you thank you so much thank you that was great i really loved it Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Monica for this heart-filling and wonderful conversation. To learn more about Monica, her book and her work, check out our show notes.